You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, It was a few years ago. I was out to dinner with my boyfriend at this place we go to all the time. It's a place we never have had a problem getting a table. A place where we both get the duck. The place has a name, but we always call it Duck Place. And this night, this one night, we had to wait for a table, which was weird. And then we waited more than an hour for our food, which was even weirder. While we waited, starving, we played cards in silence, which is what we do when we go out to dinner. And at some point, I realized that every other table had a couple at it. No six tops, no four tops, as they say in the restaurant biz, just two tops. And then I realized we were getting looks, not because we're gay, but because we were sitting there in silence, playing hand after hand of this card game we're both obsessed with. And cards that night just wasn't the vibe. The vibe in the room was date night. And somehow, by not holding hands across the table and staring into each other's eyes while we waited for the food that never came, we were ruining the vibe for everyone else. And that's when I realized we had accidentally gone out to dinner on Valentine's Day. How is that even possible? How do you go out to dinner together by accident on Valentine's Day? I mean, aren't there hearts up everywhere and boxes of heart-shaped chocolates at checkout around Valentine's Day, all to remind us it's coming? Yes, there are. But those reminders, they're up for weeks. All those hearts and flowers and flowers and chocolates and heart-shaped chocolate boxes. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't make a big deal out of Valentine's Day, if you're the kind of couple that doesn't make a big deal about Valentine's Day, not even a small deal, not any sort of deal at all, it's possible to know it's coming, even to know Valentine's Day is close to coming, but not realize that it's come. So, you're just going to have to believe me when I tell you that I didn't realize this week's show, the show you're listening to right now, was coming out on Valentine's Day. Because, once again, I didn't see it coming. And that's a shame. The Savage Lovecast comes out every Tuesday. Valentine's Day falls on a Tuesday once every seven years. We are a sex and relationship and love and romance and sucking and fucking and fisting and cucking and Polly and Molly podcast. You would think we would plan some special Valentine's Day themed content, at least when the holiday falls on a Tuesday. But nope, we got nothing. And maybe that's a blessing. I don't do Valentine's Day never done it. No one I've ever been with, no one I'm with now has ever made a big deal about it. Not the husband, not the boyfriend. And that's how I like it. But if you're the type who makes a big deal about it, well, you don't need me to make a big deal about it too, right? I mean, I'm not your Valentine and you're not mine. If you're one of those couples who do Valentine's Day, that's something you're going to do to each other. And by the time you listen to this week's show, you may have already done it. So you don't need a special Valentine's Day Savage Lovecast episode, right? And let's not forget there are people out there who don't have Valentines and some of them might want a break. Unhappily single people, please skip ahead right now. Use that little 15 second button to jump ahead. Some unhappily single people might be listening and they might not want to be reminded of all the flowers and chocolates and blowjobs they won't be getting today. Now, 
Not all single people are unhappy about it. That's why I qualified single with unhappy. I want to acknowledge the existence of unhappily single people without contributing to the erasure of the happily single. We see you, happily single people. You are valid. And there's a growing mountain of evidence that shows single women, at least, single and childless women, women without Valentine's on Valentine's Day, are happier and live longer than married women with children. But if you're unhappily single on Valentine's Day, we see you too. Most of us have felt your pain. Some of us will feel it again soon, maybe sooner than we might think. Because some of us have Valentines who are just going through the V-Day motions. They want to break up with us, but they can't because it's not okay to break up with someone on Valentine's Day or right before Valentine's Day or too soon after Valentine's Day. So some of our Valentines come through with the chocolates and the flowers and some joyless, well, it's not quite accurate to call it maintenance sex because there's nothing much to maintain over the long term with that kind of sex. I don't think we have a word for the kind of sex I'm thinking about here, the kind of sex someone has consensually with someone they're planning to dump because they don't want that person they're about to dump to think anything's wrong. What would you call that? Stalling sex? Filibusta nuttering? Running out the cock? Anyway, unhappy singles, don't let those happy couples in crowded restaurants make you feel worse. You can comfort yourself with the thought that some of those motherfuckers are going to be unhappily single again by the end of next week. Or possibly happily single again by the end of next week. But we are a sex and relationship show, so I'm going to quickly toss out a couple of bones, Valentine's Day-themed advice bones before we start. Fuck first, of course. Fuck before you go to dinner, if you're going to dinner. That may be the single most famous two-word piece of advice I've ever given and the most useful. And it's nice, I guess, to see it being ripped off, excuse me, taken up and boosted by more mainstream relationship influencers all over Instagram and TikTok, each one pretending like they thought of it. I want to thank everyone who jumps into the comment threads to credit me. Makes me feel seen, makes me feel valid. A less famous piece of Valentine's Day advice that I've given, something I shared with Liza Corsillo from GQ a few years back and I think is really good advice too. Don't escalate. Don't go bigger every year. If you try to outdo what you did last year on Valentine's Day, if you go bigger and bigger and bigger, your partner will come to expect bigger and bigger and bigger, and you will eventually reach a point where it's literally impossible to go any bigger. The universe is big, but even it's finite, and your Valentine will be disappointed from that Valentine's Day on. Every Valentine's Day forever. A disappointment. I think the best advice for Valentine's Day is to ignore it. Maybe not so hard that you wind up accidentally sitting in a restaurant on Valentine's Day wondering where your duck is, but close to that level of ignoring Valentine's Day. And if ignoring Valentine's Day isn't an option for you, if you can't or don't want to ignore it, find something that works. A certain kind of flower she loves, a certain kind of blowjob he likes, a certain kind of expensive chocolate. Everybody likes chocolate. And then get your Valentine, that same thing again next year and the year after that. Same flowers, same blowjobs, same chocolates. Don't get me wrong. 
grand romantic gestures are grand. I have been on the receiving and giving end of a few of those. I guess that makes me grand romantic gesture verse. But you would be well advised, and I am hereby well advising you, to save grand romantic gestures for marriage proposals and weddings, for those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And for Valentine's Day, go with the reasonable romantic gesture. And if that isn't good enough for your partner, if your partner flips out, if reasonable romantic gestures aren't good enough, well, maybe like the women in those studies, your partner would be happier single. All right, before we start the show, Hump 2023 is on tour now with screenings this weekend in San Francisco and Olympia. We have a great new lineup of films for you. Hump heads next to Seattle, Portland, Tacoma, Vancouver, and then 30 more cities all around North America. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get those tickets, which would make a very reasonable Valentine's Day gift. Another reasonable Valentine's Day gift, a Magnum subscription to the Savage Lovecast. Magnum subs get lovecasts with more calls, more guests, no ads. Magnum subs get the sex and politics bonus podcast, access to my maxi Savage Love column, Savage Love Live, and Savage Love AMAs and other events. Go to savage.love to become a Magnum sub yourself or gift a Magnum subscription to your Valentine. Coming up on today's micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, a bi woman is thinking about making a baby with a gay friend. LGBTQ family law expert Diana Adams returns to discuss the unique issues potential queer platonic co-parents need to think about before scrambling their DNA together. All that coming up on today's very special Happy Valentine's Day episode of the Savage Lovecast. This episode is brought to you by Fabric, making it easy to get high-quality, affordable life insurance for you and your family. Go to meetfabric.com slash savage today. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan. I'm a longtime listener, 20-something-year-old cis gay man from the Pacific Northwest, and I have a question for you about piss play. My boyfriend and I are currently in a bit of a debate where he wants to ingest and swallow my piss during piss play, and I have a lot of concerns and questions about whether it's sanitary, whether it's safe, and I'm a little hesitant. I'm fine with the piss play, but not so sure about the actual drinking of piss. Urine is not sterile. For a long time, a lot of people believed that urine was sterile. You can still find websites looking at you, University of California, San Francisco, obstetrics and gynecology department website, where it says right now urine is sterile when we know urine is not sterile. There are bacteria that can be present in urine in very low levels. Also, if somebody has gonorrhea or syphilis or chlamydia, obviously it would be unsafe to put their dick in your mouth, whether they were urinating or not. Hopefully, with your boyfriend, you know him well enough to know about his STI and health status generally. And what's in urine, the reason we can't call it sterile anymore, is that what has been identified in urine are very low levels of bacteria. Not enough bacteria typically to make someone sick, but to shift urine out of the sterile 
category and into the not sterile category. Sterile, as Mike Pesca once came on this show to point out, is a binary and urine ain't sterile. Ain't gonna kill you, most likely. Urine is just hot water that don't taste great in the morning. If somebody's had a six pack of beer, if you and your boyfriend go out and have a couple of pitchers, two hours later, he drinks your piss. It's just so much hot water as anybody who urinates knows. There's a difference between that morning piss and that had a pitcher of beer and it's 10 o'clock piss. Presumably it's not your morning piss or your post asparagus piss that your boyfriend is interested in ingesting. And yeah, you can get precious about what's sanitary and what's not sanitary, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess you're eating your boyfriend's ass, which isn't exactly sanitary in the same way or being held to the same sanitary standard that you are attempting to hold his desire to drink your piss. And we can infer from all the crazy health woo-woo influencers out there who are putting up TikToks right now about drinking their own piss, that if drinking piss, your own or someone else's, regularly or routinely caused illness or death, we would hear about them all the time because there are a lot of people out there engaged in piss play with partners or engaged in woo-woo health nuttery all by their lonesomes. So I think you should give your boyfriend this. Have a pitcher of beer. Have a pitcher of sparkling water if you're not someone who drinks, if you're sober, and piss in his mouth. If not you, who? If not now or this weekend, when? Hello, Dan. I have been with my boyfriend for four years. I really love our relationship. He's kind. He makes me feel safe. I trust him. Things are good. The only area where I have an issue is with sexual compatibility. I'm attracted to him, but I feel like he doesn't really care about making me calm. When we have sex, like once or twice a week, when we have sex, he almost always comes and I almost never come. I don't come from penetrative sex to come. I need a vibrator or I need oil and he knows that. And we've talked about it and when we talk about it, he'll make me come a bit more for a couple weeks and then kind of stop again. So he doesn't really make me come much at all, like maybe once a month. and. He doesn't seem that into making me come. In past relationships, men have cared about whether I had an orgasm and seemed attracted to me more when I had orgasms. And that just doesn't seem like the case for him. We've talked about it and I don't know what to do at this point because he'll never, he hasn't changed. And I don't know whether I can expect him to change. So I guess my question is whether I can expect him to change and what I can say to him or tell him to let him know that it's not fair for him to come every time we have sex and for me to almost never come and how I can let him know that that makes me want to have sex with him less. Um, he's complained before that I don't initiate sex and I've told him I don't initiate sex because I don't come during sex. So I guess, I don't know. I'm just curious if this is something I can expect to change or if this is something that I should accept is a price of being in a relationship with him. I think you should get your boyfriend a copy, a hardcover 
copy of Ian Kemmer's 2004 book, She Comes First, which is a self-help manual or a couple self-manual to improve heterosexual relationships by de-emphasizing penetrative sex and really centering, really focusing on women's pleasure through oral sex. I think you should get your boyfriend a copy of that book. Again, I think you should get him a hard copy of it because I want you to beat him to death with it. No, of course, I'm not advocating violence, hyperbole. I want you to break the fuck up with this guy who is not invested, not interested in your pleasure. After four years of trying, I don't think you can reasonably expect this to change. And I don't think that your partner being entirely indifferent to your pleasure is something that you should have to accept as the price of admission to be in this relationship. And fuck this guy. He never makes you come or only makes you come every once in a great while after you've begged. And then he complains. He has the nerve to complain to you that you're not initiating sex. Sex that for you leaves you with, I don't know what the vulva equivalent of blue balls or a cummy ache, as I saw someone call blue balls recently on the internet. I'm not sure what the vulvar equivalent of blue balls would be, but he's given them to you, purple labia. I don't know what that would be called, but he's definitely doing that to you. And it's not okay. And you shouldn't settle for it. You should kick this motherfucker to the curb. If, because he is otherwise lovely, kind, makes you feel safe and you trust him, well, then you're going to have to put your foot down, put your labia down and let him know that when you two have sex, he will not get to penetrate you. You will not get to penetration until after you've had an orgasm with some effort on his part to provide you with that orgasm orally or by using a, a vibrator and that you're just not going to put up with this. There's an orgasm gap in your relationship and it's not going to close if you don't put your back into it and slam it the fuck shut. When people talk about the orgasm gap, which is heterosexual women in opposite sex, you know, or women in opposite sex sexual experiences being much less likely to climax, much less likely to have an orgasm during that encounter than their male partners. It's usually discussed as a, something that characterizes new relationships or people who are just hooking up for the first time and it becomes less of a problem and less pronounced in a committed long-term relationship. Well, not the case in your committed long-term relationship. The orgasm gap exists and it persists because of his selfishness and indifference. And you can't let him get away with it any longer. You're going to have to do what you've asked him to do and he has failed to do, which is prioritize your own pleasure in your relationship with him. If he isn't going to make you come first, you're going to have to insist that he makes you come first of his own initiative, of his own accord. He's not going to make you come first or at all. Not only shouldn't you be initiating sex with this motherfucker, you shouldn't be having sex with him when he initiates it. And he should be in no position to initiate sex with you because you dumped him three and a half years ago. Sometimes people wait until bad things happen to talk to a therapist. But why wait? Therapy can give you the tools to cope in difficult times. And if you already have those tools at the ready, if you've already done the work, 
well, difficult times are still going to be difficult, but not as difficult, which is why I recommend therapy all the time on this show. And not just to people in crisis, to everybody. Getting started is sometimes the hardest part. Talkspace makes it easy to get started and affordable. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with the provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, no need to miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend your sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Therapy can help you shift your perspective. It can give you the tools to cope in difficult times and get to a better place mentally. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. And Talkspace is affordable. It's also in network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you will get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash savage. Again, to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. I'm a trans man living in Washington, D.C., and I have some questions for you about NRE. You talk a lot about how to get through a breakup, and I was wondering if you could give some advice on dealing with NRE from both sides. Currently, my poly partner and I sort of got thrown into non-monogamy a little ahead of schedule and that part feels non-consensual and like a breach of trust so it's a little bit hard even though I'm okay with them dating other people watching somebody else forget that you exist really sucks I know that it feels really good to have those feelings but for everybody around you it can kind of just feel like you had too much coffee and I know I've been on the other side of that too and that it's hard for people to be around me and it can be hard for my other partners to witness so I'm just wondering if you have some tips for how to get through it and also how to be more respectful of your partners when you're the one who's all rainbows and unicorns there's a lot going on here There's a lot of backstory that I wished you'd shared. You say that you were thrown into non-monogamy a little ahead of schedule, felt a little non-consensual, felt like a breach of trust. I'm reading into those statements that you and your current primary partner were monogamous for now, monogamous at the start by mutual agreement, and they cheated on you. There was some breach of trust or break of trust that involved bringing another partner into the relationship, someone they began to date, maybe behind your back or maybe in front of your face, because you say you're witness to a lot of new relationship energy and it's leaving you feeling a little invisible. (sighs) So whether they were dating behind your back and then wanted to bring the new partner in out of the cold and legitimize this unethically non-monogamous relationship and retroactively make it with your consent into an ethically non-monogamous relationship where they were, you know, asked for your permission before they began to date this person. And it was always out in the open, just 
sooner than you would like it to be, what do you do? What do you do with these feelings? You're watching your partner experience a lot of new relationship energy. They're giddy and excited. That is something, NRE, it's something that everybody really enjoys experiencing. It's something that people in monogamous, long-term committed relationships kind of have to accept that they may never experience again, at least ethically, right? But people in polyamorous relationships, one of the great things about them are open relationships, or I guess polyamorous relationships, because if it's open but not poly, there's not new relationships to feel all energized by. One of the things you have to accept is not just that you will get to experience new relationship energy again, but that your partner will too, and you will be witness to it. And that could call up for you, particularly if your re-entry into non-monogamy and polyamory was a little bumpy, as it sounds like it was for you, that can be a little emotionally tricky. And seems to me, in my experience and from the reading I've done and from all the poly people I've talked to, the onus really is on your partner to be considerate. Yes, you have to engage in a little emotional self-regulation and say, ah, oh, look at my partner. They're experiencing NRE. Good for them. Mm. I'm feeling a little bit jealous. I'm feeling a little left out of that. I'm going to think about those feelings myself, work on those feelings myself. But your partner, particularly I think your partner in this case, owes it to you not to make you feel like you're invisible or that you don't matter or that they aren't also still excited to be with you. And that one of the reasons they're excited to be with you in your long-term relationship with its long-term relationship energy is that being with you in a long-term relationship means that they can still experience this NRE shit with other people thanks to you. And so what your partner isn't showing you right now, seems to me, is consideration. They're not self-regulating. They're not tamping down the gushing in front of you and maybe saving that for some other friends. Not, you know, pretending that they're not experiencing NRE when they're with you, but not turning on the full NRE fire hose in front of you. But they're also not going out of their way to make sure that you still feel special, that they are still clearly excited to be in the relationship that they are in with you. And I think you have a right to demand that from your partner. And you, you have a right, if your re-entry into non-monogamy felt non-consensual, involved a breach of trust, happened ahead of schedule, that you can demand from your partner a little extra consideration that there needs to be a thumb on the scales, that they need to make it up to you. They need to make sure that they're bringing you along and you're happy for them, but there's a little bit of a wound here. And they're not salting your wound by experiencing NRE. They're salting that wound by experiencing nothing but NRE and making you feel like you don't matter, that you don't exist, that you can't be that you're invisible, that you can't be seen. They need to see you. They need to see your pain. They need to see the effort you're making. Pud, poly underdress, initially, you're getting there, and they're not helping you get all the way there. In fact, they're throwing obstacles in your way. They need to course correct. They need to better self-regulate, and they need to shower you intentionally with a little more of the kind of love and energy and affection that comes almost effortlessly in a new relationship.
This episode is sponsored by Fabric. Are you looking to get your financial future organized? If you don't have life insurance yet, that should be at the top of your list. Got kids? As a dad, I know how stressful it can be to make sure your kids are protected. It's the thing we worry about the most. Fabric by Gerber Life is the easy one-stop shop you need with life insurance and other family finance solutions all in one place. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric's new lower prices could mean potentially significant savings over other providers with great quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated, but Fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience. It's all online and on your time. And if you need extra support, Fabric's team of licensed insurance agents can answer questions along the way. It takes less than 10 minutes to apply, see your quote, and then personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. You could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Fabric has partnered with Gerber Life, trusted by millions of families like yours for over 50 years. And with over 1,600 five-star reviews on TrustPilot.com, you can feel confident that you're getting a high-quality policy that's perfect for your family. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Fabric was specifically designed to give parents like you, parents like us, affordable term life insurance plus wills, access to college saving funds, and more tools to help protect your family's financial future, all in an easy online experience. Protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash savage. That's meetfabric.com slash savage. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash savage. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Hi, Dan. So I ordered a decorative stainless steel butt plug from wish.com, and their shipping department decided that since my app has a crack in it, that the butt, butt plug also shipped. Um, it arrived fully in two separate pieces. Um, I think I can salvage it, though, by gluing the plastic part back onto the metal part. But I'm wondering if you know of a heavy-duty adhesive that would be safe to use for this application. The glue itself wouldn't be touching my anal area, but um, I don't know what kind of chemicals can you guys. Butts have cracks in them. Sex toys, when they arrive, shouldn't have cracks in them. And any sex toy that you're going to use as an insertable, you don't want that sex toy coming apart. I would encourage you to return that sex toy if the company that you bought it from takes returns. If the company that you bought it from doesn't take returns, don't buy from that company anymore. Only buy from companies that take returns and throw that butt plug away. Because the last thing you're going to want is for a butt plug to come to pieces again when it's inside you. I have a doctor friend who this morning sent me a link to a Reddit post that shows an x-ray of a person who can't be identified. I don't know how the x-ray got onto the internet. Obviously a violation of someone's privacy potentially of a fisting dildo. It's a giant ass dildo that's in the shape of a fist that somehow entirely slipped inside someone and then couldn't be retrieved without a base, without a trace. Somebody commented, that is a good slogan. You do not want to put anything in you that doesn't have a flared base because if it slips inside you, you might not be able to fish it out. And then you're going to wind up waiting for hours 
in an ER to see a doctor who might then take an x-ray that might then someday, hopefully without your name attached, find its way onto the internet and then into a discussion about sex toy safety on a sex advice podcast. Throw that toy away. I guess Gorilla Glue might work. I guess Crazy Glue might work. But you know what? No, no. If it's cracked, you don't want it cutting your sphincter. You don't want to get a fissure. You don't want it to come apart and then slip inside you. Throw that butt plug away. If, again, the company that sent it to you doesn't take returns, if they do take returns, send it back. If they don't take returns, don't order any other sex toys from that company ever again. Hey, Dan, 40-something cis het guy from the Midwest. I've been living with my girlfriend for a few years, and in the last six months, her mental and physical health have dramatically declined, um, including in the last couple months, or in the last month of suicide attempt, hiding alcohol around the house, claiming she doesn't remember hiding it. And throughout this, she has been very resistant to healthcare providers and does not follow up regularly. I've thought about ending things many times. I don't know if she would even agree to leave if I asked her to. So I I don't know what to do anymore. She just spends most of her time laying in bed watching TV and gets very angry with me when I suggest, you know, seeing a doctor, trying a new doctor. She just insists that I don't understand and nothing seems to change. Uh, I don't know what to do. You don't want to be a terrible person. And I don't want to be a terrible person. And sometimes I feel like I find myself in situations where I'm giving someone advice that's going to cause other people to think I'm a terrible person, telling a person who'd rather not be a terrible person to be a terrible person and do terrible things. You aren't obligated to stay in this relationship for the rest of your life if your partner refuses to get the help she needs. If your partner tells you you don't understand, that's not a, a trump card. That's not the end of a conversation. You can look at them and say, okay, maybe I don't understand, but I still am not going to put up with it. Whatever's going on with you, I don't understand, but what's going on in this apartment, what's going on in this house, what's going on with us, what you're doing to me, I don't have to put up with that forever. And I'm not going to put up with that forever. And at a certain point, you're going to ask them to leave. Everybody's heard stories or had experiences with family members, partners, kids, parents who spun out of control, who descended into chaos or substance abuse or mental illness or all of the above and left their loved ones with no option but to put their shit on the porch and change the locks. And that's a heartbreaking thing to have to do. Sometimes it is the thing that you must do, not only to save yourself, but to save that other person from themselves. Being with you you enabling your partner to lay there all day doing nothing but watching TV and secretly drinking isn't helping your partner. Things may get worse if you force your partner to leave, if you throw them out, but things aren't 
getting better on their own. It's only been six months. Maybe you make a decision about how much more of this you're willing to take, how much more you can put up with, and you put a number of months onto that and you communicate that to your partner. Three to six months more, and then I'm gone, I'm out, or you're out. And if they won't leave, is it possible for you to leave? You can also, and should, call in the cavalry. Does your partner have parents? Does your partner have friends? Do other people outside of your relationship know what's going on? Can you have everybody that loves your partner, loves your girlfriend, and that your girlfriend loves and respect come over for an intervention? What resources do you have? What resources do your partner's parents have? If your partner's parents are still alive, is there some sort of residential inpatient program? Is there rehab? Is there somewhere that your partner can go and get the help that your partner isn't getting right now, refuses to get? And if so, then set that shit in motion. But yeah, oh my God, it's horrible. It's horrible to contemplate. You know, however good it was at the beginning three years ago, the last six months, so what is that? I'm terrible at math. Six months is half a year. What is six months out of three years? What percentage of the relationship is that? It's a large percentage of the relationship. It has been bad and getting worse. And you aren't a terrible person if you tap out. And you aren't a terrible person if you recognize that being there, letting her continue to live with you isn't helping it isn't making your life any more pleasant, but it also isn't helping her get her life together and maybe enabling her to lay there all day, watching TV, doing nothing, drinking, and further descending into substance abuse or the untreated mental illness that she's suffering from. Sometimes we are the rug that we have to pull out from under a loved one. And that's hard. I know from personal experience how hard that is. You may have to do it. You may have no other choice you, because your partner is leaving you with no other choice. Hi, Dan. I'm a single cishet woman in her early 30s. Lately, I've been finding myself wanting a situation I'm not sure I can label as kink or not. Hookup and dating culture has left me disenchanted. I'm not feeling bitter or sexually traumatized, but I'm fantasizing more and more about a relationship or a situation that doesn't include penetrative sex, at least not for the first few months. I'm not religious, and I don't hold penetrative sex as something sacred or something to withhold as leverage, but I want to explore everything, excluding penetrative sex, for a longer period of time than is expected as a norm. Uh, in the vanilla world I've lived in, this feels outside of the norm, like I'm being prude. My question is, do you think I should be looking for something like this, playing and being extremely sexual with a person, trying some light elements of kink and BDSM with a partner without the expectation of penetration within a kink community, or is this normie enough of a desire to find in a regular dating world? 
feel like I should add here that I'm still fairly conditioned to give in to the desires of my male partner and, quote, give them what they want, especially when things get hot and heavy and they want to fuck. And, yeah, I just, I will give in. (laughs) Right now, I'm just thinking more that I want to explore more outside of penetrative sex for a longer period of time. I'm wondering if I just need to learn how to express what I want and my boundaries clear and stick to them, or is this something that would be easier found within a kink community, which I have not yet joined or know much about? What you'll find inside within a kink community a healthy functional kink community or if you manage to find the healthy functional people in a kink community you'll find more nuanced more explicit more comprehensive conversations around consent you'll also find less of an emphasis on normative sexual desires or sexual expression so vaginal intercourse is sort of normative it's sort of a default and male, female, opposite sex, heterosexual, straight, sexual encounters, where they're going, what they're building to, what people expect or might hope for, even someone who, you know, a guy who agreed to just coming over, just fucking around, nothing penetrative happening. He might, in the moment, when he's horny, start to beg you or ask or plead, and you have this habit of giving in to men, pleasing men, of, you know, agreeing to vaginal intercourse under those sorts of circumstances. In a kink community, you're likely to find guys who, if you've been really clear about establishing that boundary, are going to be less likely to want to renegotiate your boundaries during a scene while you're having sex. Because in a kink community, somebody who violates boundaries or wants to reopen negotiations around limits or boundaries during sex is going to get a bad reputation in that kink community and will wind up ostracized because they'll be perceived as not a healthy functional player, not somebody who can be trusted. And while not perfect, that's one of the benefits of a kink community, of creating a kink community, is that people are preceded by their reputations or people establish reputations that hopefully precede them that let people know that they are safe and trustworthy. And again, anybody who attempts to renegotiate terms to reopen during play, a conversation about a hard limit. Yeah. They're going to get a bad and shitty reputation. They will be shown the door or the whisper network will kick into gear and you would know not to, play with that guy, that they were someone not to be trusted. You're unlikely to encounter those sorts of community norms in the you know much bigger, vaster community of just straight guys and straight women who want to mess the fuck around. If you don't want to go looking inside the kink community, and again, it's not like the kink community is perfectly safe. It's not like you won't encounter bad actors or shitty people who might make you feel pressured or make you feel coerced or might beg and plead in a pathetic way and make you feel like you have to give in in a kink community. You might. So you're going to want to develop the skill of standing firm, whether you're meeting guys in the kink community or meeting guys 
on the regular hookup apps or through friends or at parties or at work, if what you want right now is everything other than intercourse, than penetrative sex, if you want to explore oral sex and being orally serviced or servicing someone or mutual masturbation or outer course or playing with toys and vibrators or exploring some of your kinks or someone else's kinks, so long as it doesn't involve penetrative sex, you've got to make that clear. And then if in the moment somebody, some guy that you're with is like, oh, I'd really love to fuck. You just need to kind of look at them in the eye, drop everything and say, that's not on the menu. You agreed. Please don't bring that up again. That's not going to happen. Unless of course you're doing some sort of DS play. If you're the Dom and you think it's kind of hot slash pathetic slash sexy to see this guy beg for what you're going to tell him he can't have. Sometimes in a DS context, people like to ask for something that they want uh, because they like to hear their Dom say no. It can be hot to gamify it in that way. So long as they understand and you both understand that the answer is going to be no. And that's not a renegotiation in the scene. That's just a kind of dirty talk. If you fantasize about being the sub in a DS scene, though, it can be harder to say no. You know, if you're wanting to live out your fantasies around being submissive and the person who's dominating you asks for something or demands something or orders you to do something and you don't want to, you know, you're enjoying the DS sex otherwise and you kind of don't want to ruin the vibe, it can be a little trickier to say no, but you will have to use your safe word. You'll have to end the scene. You will have to say no. But finding guys in the kink community, finding guys in the non-kink, much vaster community of guys out there who are into women, ultimately, if you've taken penetrative sex off the menu and they've agreed to the menu that you've handed them before you play, and then they want to start ordering things that aren't off the fucking menu, you're just going to have to tell them no. Tell them no. Practice saying no into a mirror and make sure they understand before you have sex with them that the answer is going to be no. And if they ask twice, if they ask and you say no and they ask again, hand them their pants. Show them the door, the bedroom door, if you're playing at your place, at the dungeon door, if you're playing in a kink space. But be prepared to stick up for yourself, to stand up for yourself in that moment, to restate your boundaries and your limits. People in kink spaces are really good, clearly communicating their boundaries and limits. Sometimes people in the non-kink space have a harder time with that. That's something that vanilla people should steal from kinky people. That kind of clarity. And you should know that there are guys out there in kink spaces, non-kink, much faster spaces, who would find this hot to be with a woman who is denying them penetrative sex and who is in charge herself of when and if months down the road, he might be able, they might be able to finally have penetrative sex together. There are guys who would find that incredibly arousing to get to do everything else, but not get to do that. Be clear about what it is you want, what it is you don't want, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. And you're likelier to wind up finding one of those guys who this isn't going to be a problem for him that you don't want to have vaginal intercourse. This is going to be exciting for him.
All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's check in on the comment thread on last week's show at savage.love. For the woman caller who was just getting back out there and wasn't sure if she should have new guys over to her place or head over to theirs, which set me off on a worst case scenario tangent or two, Strickland Bonner writes, I think your advice was good, Dan, but you missed some good reasons why she should opt for his place first. If she gets his address ahead of time, she can let a friend know where she'll be. He won't have her address if she decides not to see him again. And it's easier to leave someone else's place than to kick someone who doesn't want to leave out of your place. Also, at the end of the night, she can leave as soon as she wants, or she can stay longer if she wants to stick around for a possible round two. I really like all of Strickland's points, particularly though that last point. She might want to stick around for round two because unlike Almost every other issue or contingency we raised, that point imagines a universe where the caller might actually have a good experience, which is a thing that does actually happen. Regarding my recent opening rant about MILF Manor, which Nancy, who doesn't like it when I talk about TV shows, would have edited out if Nancy could have edited those comments out, but she couldn't because I didn't talk about anything else in that intro. Tanya writes, regarding the podcast intros about movies and TV shows and other cultural commentary, my vote in the poll, love it. This is a podcast, not a democracy, as Nancy is always reminding me. So there was no poll. And so long as Nancy is the producer of the Lovecast, and I want Nancy to always be the producer of the Lovecast, I will keep the cultural commentary, particularly about television, to a minimum. And finally, a listener or reader named Lindsay put a question to superstar substacker Matt Iglesias, which he answered in his weekly mailbag column. Lindsay writes, what do you think of Dan Savage's position that the default for new relationships should not be assumed to be monogamous, but rather an open question to be determined by both interested parties? To which Matt responded, I think I'm old and married. To which I would respond, that is not an answer to the question, Matt. You can think you're old and married. You can be old and married and still have an opinion about whether monogamy should be the default setting. I've met plenty of old married people in my time with very strong opinions about monogamy and non-monogamy. Most of them pro-monogamy, con, non. You can also be old and married and not monogamous. Ahem. If you would like to join the conversation about the show, go to savage.love, click on the latest episode and share your thoughts. I will definitely see them and I might wind up reading yours on next week's show. And as ever, thanks to everyone who posted about the Lovecast to your social media this week. We really appreciate it. And now listener response calls. Hey Dan, this is a call in response to the not so baby gay from episode 850 who came out later than many and is having vocabulary and etiquette questions. Dania jumped right to Grinder, as if that was a fait accompli of where he was having trouble. But he said he was dating and not hooking up. And confusing a date with a booty call doesn't seem like the kind of mistake a guy this articulate would make. Back in our day, you're right, we had guidebooks. But the guidebooks were only an intro. After you armed yourself with the knowledge from the glossary, you went out into gay spaces and practiced. You learned from your peers. You sat around with people and listened and picked up on things, just like learning any language. This guy doesn't need one-on-one. -on -one. He needs group therapy. Is there gay brunch? A gay curling league? You did say it was Canadian. Join a thing where you get to be among queer people, and you'll be amazed at how conversant you become in a very short time. I'm calling in response to the guy from episode 850 that likes dick. 
but isn't into men. I think this guy needs a sex worker. He has a very long list of specific demands, but isn't really interested in putting in the emotional labor and work to find someone that might meet those. A sex worker will also go away when the experience is over. I also believe that the added pressure of paying for an experience will help him to make sure he goes through with it instead of wasting other people's time. Hi, this is in response to the 50-year-old woman who was wondering about paying for sex because she didn't want to have a boyfriend and she still wants to have sex. I would recommend that she try the swinging lifestyle scene. There are many groups online, there are many apps, there are many websites available, and there are lots of parties, and she can have all the sex she wants. A single female is very appealing to a lot of people, and it could be a great opportunity for her to find crazy amounts of sex and have a good time and maybe join a new community. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or your comment. You can also use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or comment and then email it to us at q at savage.love. Or you can call us at 206-302-2064. Get your hump tickets. Miami, Denver, Albuquerque, Baltimore, Madison, Columbus, Ben, New York City, and more. Hump is coming for you. Get your tickets now at humpfilmfest.com. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage and on post.news at fake Dan Savage. Follow Diana Adams on Instagram, Twitter, and all the socials at Diana Adams ESQ. Be sure to check out their amazing TED Talks, their website, dianaadamslaw.net. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.